Welcome to Morph Mom Moments. What a special night tonight. We're so excited to have an amazing guest and actually an alum of my high school, uh, which makes it even more exciting for me. Um, but before I introduce, I'm going to keep you waiting on pins and needles to hear all about our exciting guest tonight. I just want to quickly explain to those of you out there who are joining us for the first time what you have sort of embarked upon tonight by entering the world of Morph Mom. So welcome to Morph Mom Moments. Uh, my name is Kathleen Smith, and I founded Morph Mom about six years ago. Uh, basically, I had been a prosecutor for a long time. I had two of my three kids, and I decided to stop, always with the intention of returning. Um, after my second, it just it wasn't working out well, and I thought, okay, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go back. It's all going to be great. Well, a third child came. 14 years went by, and all of a sudden, I realized there was no way I was going to be able to make, make my way back there. So... You know, I don't know many of you out there have ever experienced this, but a tremendous loss of confidence, a tremendous loss of self, a tremendous feeling of of not really sure of, of self identity crisis. I guess not exactly sure who you were, what you were capable of anymore, or how others would view you. And although that shouldn't be something you take into consideration. It really was, and it bothered me even more that I did consider that, that if I tried something, others would look at me as if I was some, a fraud, or I didn't, you know, I, I couldn't do that. So the struggle lasted for a while, and finally I decided, wait a minute, why am I trying to reinvent the world, reinvent the wheel? I decided to go out and interview women who had been through this experience, had overcome this experience, and had done what they wanted to do. 
So I started to travel the country and record stories of women out there who had achieved goals that they and dreams that they'd always wanted to do to share those stories. And by sharing them, I was hopefully promoting these women. And at the same time, I was providing inspiration, guidance, suggestions to those out there that were in a position similar to mine. So that's how it began. And it began with the website, which is MorphMom, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. And we have tons of videos from all over the country representing all kinds of jobs, all kinds of entrepreneurial endeavors that women have taken, those that have overcome tragedies that wanted to share those stories. Uh, it's really a great library uh, for inspiration and motivation as well. And as this began, and although, although it began with me going out to interview moms going back to work, I would periodically get calls or emails from women out there saying, I'm not a mom, but I have a great story and it could I can connect with people out there and it can help. So great, of course I would share that story. And then I would get emails and calls from women saying, I'm a mom, but I never left work, but I have a great story and it could really help others. And eventually it really did begin to morph because other women were saying, well, my story doesn't involve work or a job or a project. I have overcome a tragedy or I have experienced something that I think others out there could connect with me and I could really provide, again, guidance and inspiration to get through it. So as I said, Morph Mom began to morph and now we celebrate all stories and we share them as long as they can connect with others, inspire others and provide some sort of motivation. So that's basically the backdrop to Morph Mom. Now speed through the next six years. We started to write for Huffington Post. We have many articles that share the stories. We now have this radio show, which is so much fun. Um, we have cocktail parties around the country. We have classes and we have conferences, which are great. And again, always celebrating these stories. And again, hopefully doing the same, promoting the women and at the same time, helping others out there looking for a connection. And if you're interested in any of these, go to morefarm.com and you can have the dates where you sign up. And the next non-conference is going to be Tuesday, April 24th in New Jersey, which is very exciting for us. It's our first time to do this in New Jersey. So without further ado and without talking about myself anymore, and while you're all, why the reason you're all here tonight, I want to introduce my amazing guest. As I said, Annie Schiffman is a fellow alum of my high school. Uh, she's an amazing person. Again, her story is astounding. And really, I, I can't wait to talk to her about this tonight because I don't understand any of it. Um, but basically, Annie's a former actress, an award-winning imp improviser who has traveled throughout the world with Chicago City Limits and Broadway's next hit musical. She recently founded Downstage Media, a social media and digital service company for performing artists, which encourages creating opportunities instead of just waiting for them to happen. So how many out there are saying, it's exactly what I'm doing. I need to be proactive as opposed to waiting for it to happen. So my hope tonight is, Annie, and I, I, I apologize because I will be asking a lot of questions, is how we build our brands, how we connect with these audiences, and where do we begin? So without further ado, Annie, it's an absolute pleasure, pleasure and honor to have you with us tonight. Well, I am completely humbled to be in the company of so many inspiring, thought-provoking women that you would even consider me part of this is, uh, is quite humbling. So thank you so much. I, I'm very excited to, to be here tonight. I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. So before we get into the exciting, this downstage media is fascinating. And, but more <laughs> exciting is how you were doing improvisation and acting. Can you tell us sort of your journey to how you got here today? Yeah, I have um, 
I had always wanted to be an actress, and I sort of followed the path uh, that you were supposed to do for that. And I went to one of the best theater schools in the country and for college, and I graduated from NYU, and I was auditioning, and I wound up getting uh, founding, finding my niche, which was comedy, and specifically improv comedy, where I could be working together with a group of people and making a show up on the spot out of thin air. And I started doing that professionally uh, not, too, not too long after graduating from college. And I was doing upwards of five, six shows a week in an off-Broadway show in Chicago City Limits. This was back when they had, uh, they were the longest running comedy show in New York City. They'd been running for 30 years with Robin Williams as one of their alums and just some really incredible women as well. And so then I also was doing another show called Broadway's Next Hit Musical. And right around then was when I, I met my husband doing the show. You call it, we call it a showman <laughs> in the biz. So, so uh, Annie, I, I want to interrupt for one second. Go yeah. back to how, when you said you started doing it and decided to then do it professionally. Like, how does that happen? How did that evolve? Like, was that something you'd always kind of wanted to do or kind of knew you could do? Like, how, how do you even know you have that talent to begin with? I knew I was funny. I actually, when I was in high school and they would have talent shows. Now, Kathleen said we went to the same school. We went to an all-girls Catholic school. So, like, when you have a talent show... Most people are either singing or dancing. Like, that's kind of the extent of what would happen in the talent shows. But I knew people always said that I was funny. I love to sing. It's one of my most favorite things to do in the entire world. But I knew that what made me different from five other really good singers was that I was funny. So even from when I was in high school, I was doing stand-up comedy. And uh, at the talent show, I would, I would write stand-up comedy piece of course i would have to have it checked by the head of the school and all the different people because it was a, a a catholic school and of course they wanted to check all that stuff but i yeah I, so i was doing comedy then and when i first graduated from college i would open up the pages of backstage when it was like a newspaper and i would just pour over the auditions yes Is, oh, are no. you able to hear me yes yes Sorry. yes okay I thought for a second that somebody was calling me. Anyway, <laughs> so I would pour over the um, backstage auditions. And now at the time, I had studied at NYU. I studied musical theater and straight theater and Shakespeare and film and TV. So I would kind of just go to every kind of audition. I would bring my tap shoes. I would bring my trombone. <laughs> I mean, I, I did everything. And... Um, I didn't, you know, and I was sort of in, in the spots where most people are in their first couple of years, you know, just at the cattle calls and in lines and stuff like that. Then one of the ads in Backstage Magazine said they were looking for women who were funny, who could um, make stuff up on the spot. Now, I had never taken, this was before the, like, before UC, Upright Citizens Brigade had a school Right. Like, this was before all of that whole improv scene had started in New York City. And so um, I had never taken an improv class before, but I knew it was funny. And they said, just show up and be ready to move. And I was like, great. I don't have to bring my 32 bars of a ballad. I don't have to bring my tap shoes or anything <laughs> like that. Great. I can show up. 
And I did, and it wound up just being a great fit for me. And so I just, just kept working to see, meeting as many people as I possibly could in the improv community, which was then pretty small. And then I met somebody, and he said, we've got to get you in Chicago City Limits. It's the only New York improv that pays. And I was like, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wound up doing that show for about seven years and then pivoting to Broadway's Next Musical. And then, which was just another musical improv show that toured the country. So I toured all over the country. I toured all over the world um, doing improv comedy shows. So that's how I was performing. And, and I had a commercial agent. And I was going to auditions. But around that time, um, towards the tail end of my run at Chicago City Limits, I had my daughter. And we had a really hard time getting babysitters every single weekend uh, imagine trying to find a babysitter every friday and every saturday it was really difficult and so we have a lot of family in the area we relied on them a bit and you know we got babysitters when we could but um it kind of got to be too much and i um just decided i was just going to audition for commercials and stuff like that it was a little bit easier than doing five shows a week with uh with a baby so that, that kind of changed things a bit for me. And I joined Broadway's Next to Musical, and I was only doing about a show a month and, uh, and still auditioning for commercials. But only about a year and a half ago did I realize that there was a space. There was a space between how good I knew I was and how I was able to perform at the level and, and, and the level that I was performing at because I wasn't able to get to rehearsal because right around the same time, what made it so hard for me was my husband is also an actor and he's very successful and he travels and tours upwards of 200 days of the year. Oh my, Wait, he's gone for 200 days during the year? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And it, it's not so much now. So, so now I have a seven-year-old and I have a four-year-old, but when I had babies, when I had, you know, a three-year-old and a four-year-old was the first year that, that my husband's, the show that he was in, um, that they had gotten a booking agent. And he was contractually obligated to be in every show. So, yeah, so he was gone 200 days of the year. And so just trying to get to auditions. Now, since then, like in the past two years, this is new, like, Broadway babysitters, babysitting service where you could, like, drop your kids off. But, like, for a while, it just wasn't the case for me. So I would have, like, my double stroller. <laughs> And I would come in, I'd say, and I had my younger daughter, my four-year-old now, she was very attached to me, and she just, she just wanted to be around me all the time, and when I, I wouldn't, I, I would usually leave my older daughter, like, with the prompters, you know, the, with the proctors in the waiting room, because the audition is, like, two minutes long, uh, for a commercial kind of a thing, and, um, that just wasn't the case with my, my younger daughter. And so I would be in the audition room hearing her screaming. Ugh. And I just knew, like, something something had to give. And I was frustrated because I was home so much. And my husband was, you know, out touring the world, really doing what I wanted to be doing. And I, um, I was having a really hard time with that. And I honestly just did a lot of stuff to keep myself moving. 
And so I got involved in like a network marketing company and I learned all about social media because I have a lot of drive and I knew that any project I was going to get involved in, I was going to learn a lot about it and stuff like that. So I wound up having a lot of different customers from all over the country and I knew I had to connect with them. So that's when I started learning about social media. And so since, so what I did then was I just started, um, I really carved out any time that I could when my children were asleep, when they were at nap time, when my older daughter went to school five days a week, all day at when she was in pre-K three, that was a godsend to me. Like, did you have that? Did you experience that too? A hundred percent. So in a similar situation, so my husband and I met at law school and we were both lawyers. We took different paths. My husband went the corporate direction. I went the criminal direction. And I loved it. I loved what I was doing. Yeah. And I, it had, like you said, it had to give. After my second child, it also became a little dangerous to you what I was doing. And I thought, you know, I'm bringing what I'm seeing home. And it, 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 that was part oh. of it. But also financially, too. You know, I was, as a prosecutor... At the time, back then, and, and like a very low, <laughs> low, low level, not rising as fast as maybe I should have or wanted to, um, you know, even the expense of a sitter now for two kids and then almost three, it, it just, it had, like you said, it had to give. And again, I think many people out there listening right now have experienced this and it's a really hard decision to make because yeah. you, you love what you're doing and at the same time, it's, you love both things and how do you make them both work? I don't know. Right. And so for, for us, we couldn't really. I mean, it, it got to the point where my performing became more of a hobby because, like you said, it just was like the money would go to babysitters. I mean, that, that was it. And so I, I just started, I realized that social media was a way that I could connect with people without having to leave my house. And I really needed to do that because I really couldn't leave my house. Right, right. <laughs> Because my my husband was always traveling, and and I you know I don't mean to say that he like wasn't around or, or that he was negligent in any way. I think we all know how it is, right? right? He then had the burden of he had to be the breadwinner. Part of his job is that he's got to be out of town. Like that's just the situation that we were in, and um, and thankfully so because my husband has a lot of work, so it was a great thing that it could support us. But I I really like could not leave the house. So um, I knew social media was the way out. And so I just started learning as much as I could with it. And then a few years ago, my husband, who was, he's performing, but he also produces. And he was like, you know what? We need somebody to do social media for our show. You know how to do this. You've got to do this. And I said, okay. And I um, started doing it for, for Broadway's Next Hit Musical for that company. And then... I have a, uh, someone else that I knew who was launching a book, and he said, I love what you're doing. I want you to help me with my book launch. And then someone else saw on LinkedIn that I was doing social media, and they say, hey, we've got a world premiere of a show that we want you to, to help market for us. And so that was when, and then about a year and a half ago, when it was one of those things where I had done a show, and I realized, like, you know, I, I was sort of, like, going to rehearsal every so often when I could, and, and I would do, like, one show a month, and I just realized, you know what, this is not fun anymore for me, because I can't perform at the level that I used to be able to perform at, and that is so heartbreaking and right. so frustrating, it was not even worth it for me to do that anymore. Now, 
at, at this point when you said, so you started for your husband and the, and the other people, had, yeah. you, had you officially founded Downstage Media or at this point were you sort of making the transition and starting to consider starting a, a, a company? I was transitioning. I was freelancing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there were two, two books that I read that, I, that really cemented the path that I wanted to be on. One of them I highly recommend for all of your readers is um, I Know How She Does It. Have you heard of this book before? No. Okay. This book really helped me change the paradigm that I was in, that I felt like I couldn't do it all and I needed to do it all. This book profiles women who are, um, they have a bunch of criteria. One is they have to earn by themselves at least a hundred grand a year. Two is they need to have at least two children that are at most six years old. And I think that's the two criteria. I think that's what it is. And so um, it's all about how they balance their work and their family lives and gives you different strategies for how you can do that. And what I really appreciated was how creative women were in how they did it. Mm -hmm. And so I knew then that there was a crop of women who were successful that would pour over their calendars the same way that I do. And that, you know, so I used to, I knew that um, in the mornings when my, my little girl was, my when she was two at the time, my other daughter was at school, I knew like, okay, I don't want to have my daughter work in front of the TV the whole time. So if she can play by herself for 45 minutes and then she can watch something for 45 minutes, I can work for an hour and a half straight. Right. And then if I work for, if I planned my time in 45 minute blocks and she would take an hour and a half nap, usually she would take like a two hour nap, but like I knew, okay, great. Then that's another hour and a half. So that's three hours right there. And I just like carved, I really carved out the time. And I realized that there was a bunch of women who were thinking that same way that I was. And I could see the path that that they were sort of on and ways that they knew like, I'm not going to be with my kids every weekend because once a month I'm going to maybe be working in my office and my husband's going to take the kids. But that still means there's three other weekends that I'm with my kids and that's okay. So... I found that book so empowering that I recommend it to, to so many women, even just little things like, you know, so many women pr- negotiate that they're going to go back to work part time. And this kind of shows you that even when, you know, you think you're going back to work part time, but you're not like you think it's going to be 24 hours, but it winds up being close to 36. Right, so right. then you might as well be getting the same freaking benefits that somebody who's working 40 hours a week is getting. And you're not because you said you were going to work 24. Right. So like just, different things like that I really appreciated. So I, I had a feeling then um, that I, I wanted to start a company. And when I read a book called Content Inc., which is about how you can use social media to create a company, they uh, in that book it sort of mentioned the idea that you take something that you have an expertise in and you sort of mix that with, um, with a, with a, with a skill set and then that becomes your audience. So I knew that I knew theater. I knew drama, I knew mm-hmm. theater really, really well. And I also knew that I had the skill set that I knew social media because I'd learned it at home by myself for the past six years. So when I 
put all that together. I read that book over the summer, and I'm sure I am not the only morph mom that you've talked to. But when when my younger daughter was starting school five days a week, all day, was when I launched my company. Because I knew then that I was going to have my kids. It's like all of a sudden this huge child care fear and anxiety that I'd been living with for seven years was going to be lifted for a good majority of the day. Like this was a bonus. Yeah, huge, right? You don't even realize. (laughs) You're like, wait a minute, I have time to shower? (laughs) Wait a minute. Right. And for me, I had always found that time to shower. So now I was like... (laughs) Wait, for those out there, I did shower. <laughs> I guess I should back up. All right, Kathleen. Look, Kathleen, guys, Kathleen didn't shower for nine years. It's fine, right. Kathleen. <laughs> but I've made up for lost time. <laughs> she showers three times a day now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I knew that I had that time, but I was so excited to have uninterrupted work time where I can put my head down and I could work for the different clients that I had. Around the same time, I... Um, yeah, so, so that's when I launched Downstage Media, and I knew that I wanted to help people, co- theater companies, improv groups, performing artists in any kind figure out how they could build their brands so that way they could sell tickets and get gigs and do all that stuff. So that's what I did. So I it was sort that. of a way, and I think that's a very inspiring part about the story too, is there, there are other ways to stay involved with something you love. So maybe not necessarily being up on the stage, but allowing their presence to be known well beyond the audience. So you found a way to still stay in touch with this and and just found a new avenue to explore. Exactly. Exactly. I I know that I, and for a while I was involved with doing some social media for a new startup called YesBroadway.com that I started and I was interviewing Tony winners and I was interviewing big wigs all around uh, the theater community and I was such a part of it like by using partly by like by using Twitter and I could be a part of that theater community and you're right I mean that's just where I'm able to kind of put put that love so that's one of the reasons like when you asked like okay what should we use as your theme song and I was like well of course I'm going to use something that's written by musical theater guys right you know? so, <laughs> um yeah so, so- so that's kind of where, where what landed me in this spot. But I'm happy to talk about uh, building brands because I know you kind of mentioned that too. So I'm happy to help mo- the, you know, the other women who are listening uh, about how they can they can do that. So you would you would consider or, or you do consider I guess not solely theater. Or, like if someone did come to you and say, would you or, or do you like to stay more in primarily just that, that um, theater world? I do like to stay in the niche of the theater world, but I'm more than happy to open up my services, especially to uh, to fellow morph moms for for that reason, just because I understand the struggle so much of trying to do this while you've got a kidnapping who might wake up any second or while you're realizing you have all this time now that your kids are in school and you're like, oh man, what am I going to do with my day now? Right. Like, how am I going to fill my hours? So, yeah, absolutely. But but I, li- I like to kind of stay in the lane of theater just because I, I know it inside and out. So do you believe, so with the improv background that you have and the acting background you have, with the world of social media, which I have to admit I'm completely lost. I just, I try really hard. I'm terrible at it. So I apologize to all of you out there who follow my 
Morph Mom Instagram and Twitter. I'm really trying hard. I'm terrible at it. But <laughs> when you do it, do you think having had the improv background and do you think that helps in your creativity regarding your social media presence? Like, do, do you think that comes into play? Yes, absolutely. And, and, and it comes into play in big ways and small ways. Um, it comes into play in big ways that for a while I didn't, um, now I have, I have a number of clients now and for a long time when I was, when I only had a couple, I would really sort of create the posts like, okay, so I would know, all right, I got to post to Instagram today. And so I could sit down and I knew that I was creative enough that I could come up with something on the spot. I could come up with a cool idea for a visual for Instagram on the spot. Um, and that kind of becomes a a crutch for a while because you think like, oh, okay, um, I don't have to plan anything. But then I've, I've now found that planning is very helpful in being more efficient. So it helps me scale up my business. But um, I find day-to-day what really helps me with my improv background is, um, okay, so when I was on stage, we used to play this game, called, and we called it Ding. And what happens is you have two people on stage in the scene, and then you had a person who was off to the side who was ringing a bell. And every time that the bell would ding, you had to change what you had just said or done and say or do something completely differently. And so if that happened to your scene partner, then you have to make that seem normal in the scene. You have to justify what that person just said. So here's where that comes into play with social media. So I like to look at the trending hashtags, for example, on Twitter every all the time, Twitter has these hashtags that are trending, and you can find out what they are. And many times people are looking at those hashtags, and they're reading them, so it's a way for your message to get in front of more people. So I like to look at those trending hashtags. Let me see. Let me see, actually, if I can look for one right now. Well, what's today? Thursday? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it's thir- Thursday Thoughts is usually a trending hashtag. But um, let me see one right now that I could look at. Okay. So, um, so we've got, uh, winter games is trending. We've got the white house is trending. Um, we have be the change is trending. Okay. So what I might do is I might find one of those trending hashtags and then I would sort of justify how that works into my brand in some way. And I can make those connections really fast. Mm -hmm. So you can give me two disparate things and I can connect them quickly. I attribute that to my improv background. It's so, yeah, it's fascinating. And, and going back a little bit to improv, how, like, could you prepare? Is there a way to, study or prepare like say if this scene comes up if something in this realm comes up or do you really just go in cold and kind of figure it out when you're there well with improvisation it's you know i kind of oftentimes will liken it to to a sports game um i don't know a lot about sports but i do know that in you practice skills right like there's certain like if you're a basketball player you're going to practice certain skills and um, if you're a football player, you're going to learn certain plays. Now, you don't exactly know how that's going to play out in the moment. Things could change. But you sort of know, like, all right, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to use these skills somehow or other in a show. So, yes, in our improv shows, it is completely made up. We have no idea what we're going to do. But because we practice things like 
Um, most of the show that I do is uh, the shows that I did or have done or whatever are musical improv. So you're making up the songs. So I, I have a very clear sense of what songs rhyme or what words rhyme with one another. So I know how to set myself or set up my scene partner with stuff that's with, with words that are going to rhyme neatly. Uh, I know how to kind of create, I know structures of songs really well. So, but, but I think that's where it kind of falls into play with social media too. Like you're never exactly sure how things are going to play out because people are responding to you in different ways or any, any second something can, can be part of the dialogue that people are talking about. And you just want to sort of work your way into it and work your way into the conversation and, you're not always sure how it's going to play out, but you just put in your your two cents to keep that conversation going. Do you think, do you often bring in like a, a memory or personal experience? You know, like if something triggered, like, is that something you would, you would bring into a scene? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you, you could, because that, I mean, that just makes, it's just the truth in the comedy, right? So it's based on, I mean, many times you'll say things that you've said in real life. I remember one of the first shows that I did after I'd had my second daughter, it, uh, the, the show actually coincidentally happened to be about a woman who was, um, so, so the, the plot that somebody had made up was it was a, it was a woman who was trying to lose uh, some weight and she felt like everyone at the gym was chastising her because they were all like gorgeous models. And um, so she would go to support groups where it was a bunch of women together all being body positive. And um, although, of course, because it's a comedy show, like everyone just winds up being completely um, dysfunctional. And so I was this super angry woman. And I, at one point, like I just tossed off. I was like, these feelings aren't going to eat themselves. And that was something that I had like said, like I'd said that in my house to right. my friends, like who were there. And, and I wasn't even expecting that to be like a joke line. Like I just felt like that was the truth of that character and where that character was at that moment. And like, it just went over huge in the audience because yes, that kind of true stuff goes in, into play, but you have to kind of figure out where that line is. Right. So because it's not always just about you. So, um, and I think that's really important, especially like with social media too. Um, yes, many people are promoting themselves, but I believe the reason why people watch you is because they, they get some value from you. And what is that that they're getting from you? So you can't, it can't just be all about like, this is me and this is what I ate for breakfast and here's a picture <laughs> of it. Unless, you know, that makes sense for your audience, unless your audience gets value from that. But the other day, like, I was looking at someone's account, and she um, she was all, like, if you looked at her Instagram feed, it was all pictures and business and call me and get my free ebook and blah, blah, blah. And then when you go to her Instagram stories, it was, like, a video of her son who's just walking for the first time. And I feel like I'm not going to your account to to see pictures of your baby son walking. Like right. I'm going to your account to get that information. The pictures of your baby son walking is because that's a triumph for you and you need a place to put that. But I think but you put that in the wrong place. Don't put that in the place for on your company's Instagram account. Start your own personal Instagram account and put your personal stuff on there. I don't know. 
and but you know it's funny so i do that so i have my own of course it's taking me to try and figure this out and a morph mom instagram also so all of you out there please follow me on morph mom instagram because it's going to be much better after tonight when annie teaches me all this (laughs) so i've been trying to do that like sort of to keep them separate um but it just it's so much work (laughs) too like how do you how do you manage all of it between so many outlets that you have to control and put this there and and my biggest fear and i'm completely guilty of this is it's all duplicating like on facebook somehow it will say you know she posted this on twitter instagram linkedin and it all shows up on the same page so now people don't want to read it because it's on it's been on there now six times right so what i what i would say is given think about how much time you have and then think about how much time you can devote to your social media. Um, I, I recommend for my clients, pick two or three platforms that either show you off well or that your audience is on, and preferably both. So don't just go on Snapchat because a lot of people are on Snapchat and you know, two years ago Snapchat was the new thing. Go on to Snapchat because you want to, maybe you want to send, uh, have Morph Mom go out to colleges mm-hmm. or new college graduates. And that's where that age bracket is. They're on Snapchat. So then that's where you want to go to be with them. Or many times for comedians, Twitter is a great place. I mean, it's been, it's been around for 10 years and it works really well for comedians because you can write a really pithy one-liner and that's a great forum for it. And you don't have to worry about gorgeous visuals. That's not necessarily what comedians are known right. for. So play to your strengths and go where your audience is and refine. You So you don't need to be on, on everything all the time. Pick two or three platforms and just be consistent on those. When, when you're advising your clients, uh-huh. are you – so in your role – And now with Downstage Media. And again, those of you joining us tonight, it is an absolute honor to have Annie Schiffman on. (laughs) Again, as I said, a fellow high school alum, but more importantly, the founder of Downstage Media. And it's a social media platform and a service, and digital service as well, that um, primarily focuses on the theater world. But we're discussing tonight, even in more general terms, like how we... How do we handle all this? Like a mom of three, I am coming in this... I have no idea what I'm doing. So... Annie, when someone comes to you, do you do the posting for them or do you advise them or sort of direct them and guide them how they should be posting? So I have a couple of different packages. One of them is what I call the two-act musical, which is, you know, I do everything. So I will create the posts for you. I will design your content calendar. We'll figure out the colors that make sense with your brand. And I will do all of the posting. I will create all the content. I will do all of that. You just add water. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so that's the two act musical. And then, um, I have another package on the total opposite end of the spectrum where it is more of a consulting opportunity for people. So then we sit down and we, we sit down and we will talk about what they're, what they have going on that month. So, you know, do are you speaking at an event? Are you leading a workshop? Do you have a show? I mean, whatever it is, whatever, um, because I I do have some clients who aren't theater related. So, you know, whatever it is. And 
we'll figure out, okay, what are those, what are those high points of your month? And how can we capitalize on them? And then I sort of advise, okay, so you're going to want to use Instagram here. You want to make sure you have your Instagram stories going here. And so then I'll kind of walk them through. And then we have weekly 15-minute phone calls where we just check in. And if, if they're like, I, didn't, I wanted to do this, but I don't know how. And what's a good app for me to be able to get this picture to look the way that I want it to look? Then we kind of uh, go through that from the week and then at the end of the month we go through analytics so we look at all the numbers that are relevant and we see what's working and what's not working and we adjust for the next month so if you're in that position do you yeah. so, do you sort of go over and see what they've posted and have you ever felt that there was a situation where you had to sort of get back to them and say we need to sort of revise this or revamp this oh yeah totally and, and I, I mostly, and, and I expect that because one of the reasons that people have hired me is because they don't know how to do this very well. Right, right. So that's fine. I'm gonna, <laughs> I expect that that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't think that all of a sudden people are going to hire me and within three weeks I have created some sort of a Pygmalion <laughs> Gary Vaynerchuk. Like, I, I don't think that's going to happen at all. So there's going to be bumps in the road. That's why we check in every week. Now, here's another one. So people want numbers. They want, the, you know, yes. the, everybody wants the largest amount of followers. And there are all these influencers in this whole world, which is, again, so confusing. So uh, how do you begin to increase your following? Like, or, and how do you continue to increase that following? What, what is your best advice with that? Okay. So first of all, so there's, there's, a, there's a musical. It's called Title of Show. It came out a while ago on Broadway, this, this small little musical, and there's a line in it that I have always loved, and it really plays into social media, which is, I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. <laughs> so, it's, okay, so at a certain point, if you don't have a certain amount of followers, it doesn't have as much clout. So I would say you want to get to at least sort of 500 followers. Uh, and I will tell you in just a second how to do that. However, that is not the most important metric to look at. And mm -hmm. many people think that it is. What you want to be looking at are things like, um, if it's on Twitter or Instagram, how many people are looking at your profile? How many people are seeing what you're doing? And then they're actually clicking on that thing that you have linked to in your bio. Those are really important numbers, especially if that link that you're clicking them to has, has that, that you're leading them to gives them uh, a way that you can capture their email address or so that you could kind of hold on to that person a little bit more, right? So that's a very important statistic to have. You wanna also be looking at the amount of comments that you get and the engagement that you get. How are people interacting with your work? Uh, or with your content? Are they liking it? Are, are they commenting? So that's where I, I say, like, I would rather have um, less followers and more engagement than more followers and less engagement. Um, so here's how, here's how to, good ways to grow your following. Um, so one is you look at the, first of all, go through your feed and and like other people's stuff and comment on other people's stuff. I would say take 10 minutes a day 
and uh, really start responding to people. Then think about, so influencers, I don't know, like that's like the new buzzword now, but you could think of it as like big wigs or even like, like who's in your wheelhouse who's just a couple of steps up from you? Mm-hmm. Who's kind of at the place that you want to be at? So look at that person's following and you start following the people that that person is following. Because people who like that person's stuff are probably going to like your stuff too. They just don't know about you yet. So when you follow them, they're going to know about you, and then they might follow you back. Now, are they going to every single time? No. That's why you got to do it a bunch. <laughs> and you do it consistently. And you do it 10 minutes a day, at you know, three, four, five times a week, whatever you've got the time for. And you do that. And again, you're not going to do this on a million different platforms. You're going to pick one or two. Um, on Instagram specifically, the biggest change I've seen in the amount of people liking my posts uh, and the posts for the different brands that I manage are uh, using hashtags. So you want to figure out, again, go to the people who are doing what you want to be doing and look at their posts and look at the hashtags that they're using. And you can use upwards of 30 hashtags in your Instagram post. That helps other people find your stuff. And when they see your stuff, then they could like your stuff. And if they like your stuff enough, then they might follow you. So that's a way to, A, um, get more followers, and B, get more likes, which, you know, is another fancy social media word for that is engagement. Um, So that's that's kind of the the two-pronged approach for that. On Twitter, like I kind of mentioned before, I like to use trending hashtags. So I like to try to figure out at least a couple of posts a day that I can write that has something to do in some way, shape, or form with a trending hashtag. So that way, again, it just gets in front of more eyeballs. So now, so I am, again, although I've been doing this for a while, I feel like I've like one step forward, two steps back. Cause like, then I forget the hashtags. I, I remember to oh, like, Oh, Oh, sorry. Yeah. You don't know. That's a good point. Okay. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to write your hashtags down in an Evernote. And, or you're going to use like the notes function on your phone. And then every time you post to Instagram, you're going to copy and paste. Oh, and you just keep adding to that note. You just keep doing the same ones over and over and over again. Then you tweak them here and there. Oh, because I yeah. can't remember anything. <laughs> Even after I've written it, I can't remember what I just wrote down. Oh, please. No, never. <laughs> I can never remember. And also, okay, so here's, here's this is going to be hard because it's visual. But um, on Instagram, if you write a comment and... Um, it has five periods going across, like period, 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 period. And then you um, push return and do a period again five times. So like you're doing a period down five lines and then you put your 30 hashtags. It truncates them so it doesn't busy up your post. Oh, I see what you mean. It, it kind of so, separate, like visually, you're not now in that feed of, of hashtag mania right. <laughs> you're like above it's hard that to explain, but if you go to if you go to my instagram account you'll see it in action if you go to at downstage media you'll see how i do it and um that so that's a that's a really good way that you can get those hashtags there without muddying up your comments that's so interesting yeah so i'm another offender so i have kids my kids are now older i've got two in college and one not far from it and i've okay. been told that i um i have violated many instagram laws by 
posting too many times a day and oh. I immediately hear like there's no hold back that I have over Instagrammed and I, I must delete them and I've committed the worst Instagram sin by doing that. What's your feeling about that? Okay, so so here's here's the thing first of all is to is you had kind of mentioned before about the idea of how do I how do I um you know, post the same thing to six different places and now people are sick of hearing from me. It's not necessarily that they're sick of hearing from you. They're just sick of hearing that same content. Mm-hmm. Each each social media platform has its own little language. So it has its own do's and taboos. Things that work on Instagram don't always work on Facebook. And so you want to kind of learn that. And again, that's why I say go go deep into a platform versus going wide and being on 15 different mm-hmm. platforms. So that way you really understand how are people, and, and I, I just wrote um, a blog post about this, like how are people actually using that platform? Watch them. use. Oh, no, I was a newsletter piece. Anyway, it doesn't make a difference. So <laughs> as far as Instagram is concerned, Um, yes, people don't like it when you post too much on Instagram and and your kids are calling you up because they love you and that is right. right, right. It's a friendly reminder to stop, step away from Instagram. That's what Instagram stories is for. And again, I'm so confused about that. Like I, and again, I, I apologize to the listeners out there and I hope some of you are in the same boat I'm in. I'm very confused about when you post an Instagram post as opposed to a story. Right. So the Instagram story is, it basically is like an offshoot of Instagram, but you can just get it in the same places. You could get, just by opening up Instagram, you have almost two different social media platforms. You've got your Instagram feed, which is the square iconic pictures that we, we all know now is Instagram. And then there's that those like circles up top. And you could click on those circles and you can see what people are doing day to day. And those pieces of content will most of the time disappear after 24 hours. So this is a great way for you to, like if you're doing an event, for example, and you want to um, kind of highlight different parts of the event, you want to show people behind the scenes and like just make, you know, quick little 10 second videos of like, hey, here's me waving before I'm about to go on stage or that moment where they go and presenting Annie Schiffman (laughs) from Downstage Media. You know, and then right. somebody captures that and it's on your story. So now you can post as much as you want onto your Instagram story because it's not cluttering up people's feeds. When they scroll through those square pictures, they don't want to see nine or ten pictures from the same person. That's when, if they want to go down your rabbit hole and see nine or ten pictures, they're going <laughs> to do that in Instagram stories. Can, and can I ask one, uh, yet another dumb question? But yeah. um, So how do you let someone know that you have a story going on so let's say uh, do you post it in the main frame and say check out my story today or or would it just if if someone's going to go to stories they're going to find it uh you could do both um so i would not say check out my story you can you could right so this is one of those things like you can do it but um it's not cool (laughs) (laughs) I mean, or, or you could have like an amazing picture, right? Maybe you're on stage and you're speaking and you've turned around and you've taken a selfie now with your whole audience. Then you might want to put in the caption for that picture. Check out my story for all the great stuff that's happened today at Morph Moms event in New Jersey on, you know, and so then 
they all go to their story and there's a there's um your profile picture changes a little bit when you have posted to your story so then people can click on there it's sort of a visual cue oh i see that they that you have something on your story and then also there's those things up at the top those circles up at the top there those are all different stories too annie i think i need like a straight 24 hours with you and and that wouldn't even be enough but just to handle each thing I, I can't believe we're running out of time right now i could go okay, on and on so about, this. about this how about i do this for you and for all of the morph moms listening right now go to um downstage.media and you'll see on my about page you can contact me i'll be happy to give you a half hour consultation oh that is so generous i i yes. definitely and by the way if you've not heard and if, if at any time you chimed in tonight annie has been unbelievable this has been the most informative thing i've ever heard and actually understood it for the first time and i also want to thank you for so clearly representing and detailing and explaining what it's like to be a morph mom and 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 everything you went through to get to where you are today and i so appreciate your honesty in going through that as well because when i started this that's what i was hoping to have people share so others out there it, it becomes so much more relatable and it becomes so much more bearable when you see yeah. someone has gone through this and I, I really really appreciate how generous you were with that with sharing that story so those of you out there Annie tell us all about how we can find you where you are what we do um, and how invaluable you are to us thank you so I, I truly appreciate being here tonight and you can go to downstage.media and that's where you'll be able to find out. You can sign up for my newsletter. I do it once a week. That kind of gives you nice big ideas and little simple, actionable items every week. And you can also find all my different social media channels from there. So start at downstage.media. And I can't wait to hear from you. And I look forward to giving you a half-hour coaching session. Annie, you were amazing. And I really hope you'd come back and help us. <laughs> God knows we need help. I can't thank you enough. And everyone, if you tuned in late or you need to hear all about this again, I need to go back and hear about the dot, dot, dot and the hashtag. <laughs> I have to go back. This will be up on the Morph Mom Moments podcast on iTunes. So go to iTunes, look up Morph Mom Moments, and Annie's, our, our show tonight will be up, um, hopefully tomorrow if I get my act together. And uh, you can go back and, and re-listen and relearn everything she said. But again, Annie, thank you so much for coming on. And I really hope you join us again soon. And uh, everyone, And everyone out there, good night. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them and make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education.